0: This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast. From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, this is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently. What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work? In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra-successful and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. Today, we're talking about goals. In my work with ultra-successful people, effective goal-setting is a key component to their ability to scale and achieve. And making a habit out of effective goal setting is one of the keys to success. Most people don't go about it properly. So I'm really excited to talk to today's guest, Scott Miller.
1: Habits really flow from our paradigms. We all have certain ways, lenses through which we see the world. If you change your paradigm about what you can do, anybody can create new habits that didn't just become part of your lifestyle.
0: He's worked at Franklin Covey as a sales leader for two decades and is currently their executive vice president of thought leadership and chief marketing officer. Franklin Covey is a performance improvement company that's been around for nearly 40 years. Its founder, Stephen Covey, wrote the wildly popular book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and the company grew from there.
1: And we tend to really work with organizations that want to build a legacy of leadership and make their culture their ultimate competitive advantage.
0: For Scott, his instinct for goal setting and competitive advantage started young.
1: So while most of my high school friends or college friends were out water skiing in Florida and having fun, I was sitting on open houses learning the real estate business. In fact, I was the youngest licensed realtor uh, ever in Orange County at the age of, I think it was 19.
0: Like a lot of us in our early 20s, Scott was focused on pragmatic career goals like his income and job title but now his priorities for setting goals have shifted.
1: I think the older I've become, now that I'm married, and have have children. I was married later in life at 41. I'm 51 now, so I have three young boys. And my legacy is much more important to me. Understanding that relationships are the most important thing in my life, next to my soul and my reputation. So I am very deliberately focused now on goals that have to do with the impact I'm having on friends, family, and colleagues than they are inward and self-serving. I, I still want to earn a good living, and I still want to you know, have success in my career, but I think I'm into a phase of my life around setting goals that are bigger than just for myself.
0: One of the things I really appreciated about you and your approach, really, was kind of looking at the fact that you consider all of your life in your goal setting. So can you tell us kind of pragmatically and practically how you really incorporate that entire entity into setting your goals for the week?
1: Sure. So I usually get very clear on what are the key things that I have to have happen regards what comes at me, because the amount of choices coming my way, the demands on my time, I have to set my goals very deliberately. My first most important role right now is as provider to my family. My second most important goal is husband, then father, then chief marketing officer, then friend. And after that comes like five other goals, right? Brother, son, Mm -hmm. other things like that. So once I'm very deliberate on the key roles in my life, how I deliver on those top priorities to those people in my life, everything else can or can't happen. Doesn't really matter if it happens.
0: What would be your advice for someone who's looking to learn how to set their professional priorities? Because as you've said, you know, that can be a really confusing and complex process. So what are some of the practical tips you might have on how to begin to set those priorities for yourself?
1: Yeah, I think think big and then think small. Think about what do you want your legacy to be? What What is your mission? Have you uncovered your purpose and mission in life? And can you align your professional and personal values around them because your values are what drives your goals. I think too often people define only their personal values, but they don't realize that you also have professional values. Your professional values might be, I want to earn more money. I want to sell something I believe in. So have no shame in whatever your professional values are. I I was very deliberate. Sometimes to some people's horror, I wanted to increase my income. Not because I wanted a Porsche, although I wanted a Porsche. I wanted to be able to do things in my life that were my business, helping out family members, providing tithing to my church, uh, whatever it is I wanted to do. So I was fiercely focused. To some people's criticism, I wanted to earn more money. And so I made sure the jobs that I said yes to or no to were aligned with that Professional value. Now, it wasn't so truncating that I was willing to go do things that crossed my ethics or sell things I didn't believe in. Mm -hmm. But I think if you get very clear on your professional values, your goals will become clear as a result.
0: So, really, for you, an important part of this whole process is really knowing yourself and what motivates you and be fiercely ambitious and really be able to go after that no matter what. You've written this book called Management Mess to Leadership Success. Can you give us a brief example of a mess you encountered in your own professional journey?
1: Well, I wrote about 30 of them in my book, so it's not hard to tell you. You know, early on when I got promoted into my first leadership position, it was because I was a great individual sales producer. I was not mature enough to understand that my success was their success. I couldn't do it for them. I couldn't force my way on them. And three weeks into being promoted, I was unceremoniously Unpromoted. The boss called me up and basically relieved me from my reign of terror. Wow. Because I just, I wasn't mature enough to realize that leadership of people is about them, not about you. It's about taking intrinsic pride and appreciation for watching their success, the spotlight turn onto them. As I have become a father, my wife has calmed me down. I think I'm more centered on letting other people have the fame and the credit, and that I can be a better leader if I have an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. And I'm sorry it took me 50 years.
0: Yeah, it can take a long time. And I've found that when you have an abundance mindset, you just stop worrying about what other people get credit for, what other people are doing, because you realize the only real competition is you. Can you share with us some of those concrete tips and advice that's really worked for you, not just on goal setting, but goal keeping?
1: Yeah, don't overcommit. Set one goal for yourself for this week or this month. It may be something as simple as I want to lose five pounds," or I'm only going to have one cup of coffee a day, right? I'm going to book five showings this week. Next week, make the goal more grandiose. Maybe you make two goals, but but be kind to yourself. Don't underestimate. The psychology behind believing in yourself and the the joy and the confidence that comes from achieving a goal, no matter how small.
0: One of the things I really like is that, you know, you fall right into research around multitasking, that, you know, you keep it simple, you keep it clear. Uh, You know, research shows that we don't have the capacity to multitask, even though we think we can. When we break focus on one thing and refocus on another, it's called task switching. And we don't really get into that deep place of concentration or peak effectiveness on anything. So kind of keeping those things concise and not overbooking, as you've said, Do you incorporate any type of accountability in the goals that you set or keeping the goals that you've set?
1: Without question. You know, multitasking is a myth, but people can multitask. You just can't do everything with excellence at the same time. So when I construct goals, I use a methodology that Franklin Covey taught me, and that is every goal should be from X to Y by when? I'm going to have seven showings by this Friday. So every goal, personally, organizationally, should follow that concept of from X to Y by when. Therefore, it's very clear. And then you can list out what behaviors need to be exhibited. Do I need to act and behave differently to get different results? Do I need to walk more, put less food in my mouth, make more phone calls, send out more mailers, connect to more people on LinkedIn? Do I need to reach outside my comfort zone? And if you construct your goals in then from X to Y by when format, and then you write out what types of new and better behaviors do I need to see in me and my colleagues and my team at the end of the goal setting period, at the end of that time, you can say, did those new and better behaviors work? So I think between setting realistic, accomplishable goals that are done in that format and by identifying different behaviors from yourself, the odds you will accomplish newer and greater things are, you know, 90 plus percent, right?
0: You've set these goals, you built upon them, you're able to reach a certain point, and then you reflect. When is that point for you when you decide, okay, I'm going to reevaluate what my goals are and I'm going to set a different one, go a different direction?
1: I tend to get bored pretty easily, not because I'm especially smart or well-educated, but I'm sufficiently both, I think. I I tend to know, when am I starting to get anxious? A wise friend of mine, who's my speech coach, Judy Henricks, once said something to me profound. She said, there comes a time in everybody's life, in their career specifically, when you've given 90% of all you have to give and you've taken 90% of all you can take, and that achieving the last 10% either way just isn't worth it, it's time to move on. Hmm. So I tend to, in most of my roles in life, figure out how close am I to that 90%? Am I at 110% and I'm overdue for a change, or am I at 40% and have two years left? But I tend to ask myself that question. Once I've hit 90%, Of goals. Is that good enough for me? Am I just keeping the goal because I wrote it down? So I self-assess a lot. That's a
0: really wonderful example. You've been known to say that you are fierce about planning your time, and I love that. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about how long your timeline should be when you're planning your goals. Do you plan them three months, six months, five years in advance?
1: Yeah, I have, I have goals of varying length, right? I have career goals that are, are measured by years, not by weeks or months. I have relationship goals that are measured by days. Like, you know, today at 4 o'clock, I will be at my three sons' tennis game without any question. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Well, the CEO could call me and tell me, well, what matter? I'm going to my son's game because my role as father is before my role as CMO. Now, I won't get fired because I'll work to midnight if I have to to make it up. Now, not every person is in complete control of their schedule, but I'm a pretty good preparer. I like to be on time. I value my reputation as someone who delivers on their commitments fiercely. So I will literally write things down that I'm going to stop doing. I do not have time to clip all the hedges and the bushes on my yard this week. So instead of going to dinner on Friday night, I'm going to take that $60 and hire someone to clip all my hedges because part of my goal on Saturday is to make sure that another podcast that I'm preparing for, I have the book read. So I'm pretty deliberate around saying no to things that will make me less effective on something that has a higher... More burning yes.
0: Right. So goal setting really is about not just planning events, but about blocking and knowing what you can't incorporate just as much as what you can. Oh, yeah. So in your opinion, I mean, what are some real misconceptions about what successful goal setting looks like?
1: I think the science will show you there is an indirect correlation with success against goals and the number of goals that you create. Typically speaking, if you create between two and three goals, you're going to accomplish those two or three goals. If you set four to seven goals, you're gonna accomplish one to two goals. And if you set eight to 10 goals, you're gonna accomplish none of them because you're just so spread across trying to boil the ocean. So the first insight I would share is be comfortable with some goal you can accomplish and be proud of, and then graduate up into more ambitious, both in, in achievement and in volume.
0: I think that's fantastic advice. I mean, we see it even in goal setting around weight loss, right? I mean, I'm yeah. sure there are you know tens of thousands of people who say, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds. Like they may have a very right. significant goal. Yeah. But if you say I want to lose 50 pounds and you have no specific or small task around that, it seems overwhelming, it's vague. Uh, but if you say, look, I want to lose a pound this week or I want to lose, you know, two pounds in the next few weeks, that seems much more manageable and it also would build confidence. Along the way, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that those who are great producers really have to find a balance between actually producing, actually doing the work, and finding ways to improving their skills to produce. How do you facilitate that?
1: You know, it's best illustrated by the fable of the goose and the golden egg. Right, is you can't keep just laying eggs all day long and never nurturing the goose. So you've got to see yourself as a machine that you've got to invest in. Dr. Covey called it sharpen the saw.
0: It's such a great concept of sharpening the saw. And when I work with ultra-successful people, there are two ways we can go about that behind the curtain. One is to invest in rejuvenation. You can't hustle 24-7 and not burn out. So you have to take that time for the regular run, yoga, a two-day getaway, like doing what it takes to really relax. But the second way of sharpening that saw is to really put aside time to be better at your craft. What's your advice in that area?
1: So I would set some goals. I would set some professional development goals. How are you nurturing your skills, keeping yourself curious and relevant? What are you doing to make sure that you're staying on your game? That may not mean going to a five-day conference or reading every magazine, but it might be combining things you enjoy with learning. Perhaps you love to exercise, and instead of listening to music, you listen to a podcast around building your pipeline. Or perhaps you love to read, instead of next week being a romance novel, you read a book on how to close a sale. Great suggestion. So kind of think about how can you integrate learning into things you already enjoy and be mindful. Are you consistently putting things in small pieces in your life that keep you fresh and relevant?
0: So when you look back at your own career and you look back at the years from real estate to now, what has really surprised you the most about your own evolution? Just something you might not have predicted about how you've evolved from that guy back then.
1: When I was a realtor, I was very efficient. I was all about getting it done, checking it off, moving on. And I treated all my relationships the same way I mow my lawn in 30 minutes or less. Good enough is good enough. Relationships are the lifeblood of every business, especially real estate. So constantly be asking yourself, am I being effective or am I being efficient? And people that are high producers, that are big on productivity, they tend to be efficient people and they probably are naturally efficient with relationships. Efficiency is a great talent to have. be efficient with your you know your your microwaved pizza or your margaritas or racing to the store to fill up your car and gas there's lots of areas of life where you can choose to be in a check off mindset right I mean you tend to be efficient with tools, processes, systems, machines things. but in life, relationships cannot be shortcut. they are your most valuable possession and in business. Everything is done in relationships. People buy from people. So naturally, people who are high performers, they probably have a get-it-done, punctual, anxious, on-time lifestyle like me, and that's palpable, and it creates anxiety in people. They don't trust you. They're nervous around you. They're suspect of your motivations. They wonder what is your real intent. So be cognizant. Be self-aware. Get someone to tell you, what's it like to be in a meeting with me? What's it like to be in a real estate transaction with me? Do I motivate you? Do I unsettle you? And the more self-aware you are through feedback from other people, the more you can have a better sense of introspection on, are you effective or are you efficient with people? Because the best salespeople are mindful to be effective in their relationships.
0: You know, our listeners are really interested in learning how to become more successful. Part of that process is asking some of our experts, like yourself, to weigh in on a listener question. So we have a question from a gentleman who's a Century 21 agent in Idaho, and his name is Wade Jacqueline.
1: So, like, for the last few years, we've been averaging between 80 and 100 transactions, which is why I decided, okay, I'm going to bring on a couple people to kind of assist with that a little bit, because I was just doing it all by myself. My struggle with that is who does what, which I'm really trying to, because there's no teams in our office you know we're the first team so we're trying to kind of create and forge a path on how to do that successfully my biggest struggle right now is how do i get to the next level the first thing i would do is i would enumerate list out all the tasks that you need to actually accomplish across that team create the list together Debate it robustly. You know, is this task going to have a bigger impact than that task? And once everybody agrees on, okay, these are the 13 things we have to do in rank order and then have people sit around in a meeting and say, everyone's got to probably take two or three of these. Would would everyone raise their hand on which ones you're most passionate about, which ones you're most curious about, which ones could fulfill a need you have for your own professional development and have people self-select in? If you have everybody involved in the creation of the must-to-dos, you'll have some mismatch. You'll move some things around, but you'll have high accountability because everybody was involved in the process from the lowest person to the senior person. Everyone had a chance to to speak their voice, to challenge, and to share. And so now there's no, no ambiguity. There's no hard feelings because we all are part of the process. We can revisit it. In fact, let's do revisit it in 90 days. But once we commit to it, let's all do our best to each other to be accountable that what we agreed upon is what we're going to go execute on. That's how I would handle it.
0: That's fantastic. I completely agree. And I just want to congratulate Wade. I mean, most agents doing doing 60 transactions meet their limit. If you're doing 80 to 100, I mean, that's wow. amazing. Right. So it's clear this guy is running at max capacity, that he has the choice to really remain there or grow. And he's taking a risk. He's putting it out there. And he's going to take the chance to take it to the next level. You know, in my experience, a lot of real estate teams begin with a transaction coordinator just because they tend to deal with contracts and communication and confirmations. And they take a lot off of your plate. So I think that listing out what the tasks are that need to be done, what are the tasks that are taking so much of your time is a really smart strategy.
1: I think you you hit it right in the head, especially in real estate where there is an endless number of things you could do, but busy isn't going to get you towards your goals. You've got to be super deliberate on rank ordering. What would have the highest impact? on progressing my success today, this week, and having the fierce determination and the courage to say no to things that could get in its way.
0: So what are some of the lessons that you still carry from your time in real estate?
1: In real estate, you're in it for the long term. You are in it for your reputation over 50 years, not 50 days. That you have to be thinking about the whole person and their needs and not your needs. You need to be focused on what does success look like for your client, and when they are successful, you are successful, because a buyer and a seller can sniff out a fraud instantly. You have to check your ego, check your needs, check your motivations, your agenda, and your timeline, and you need to be on your client's timeline and on their agenda. And you have to ask yourself every day: Am I on my timeline? Am I on their timeline? And that's tough, especially in real estate where you don't have a probably a consistent paycheck, right? It's, you know, feast or famine and you have to manage your budget very carefully. You're always on the hunt. You're always on the find. So I think constantly asking yourself in every interaction, am I doing what's best for my client? Is this client for life or is this client for this transaction? I've had the same realtor for six transactions in seven years. Because they are always on my agenda. Now, they challenge me on price. They challenge me on my sanity and my perception of the value. But the reason that I've had that many transactions with the same agent is because I always feel like they're doing what's right for me.
0: So what makes, in your opinion, what makes a salesperson great?
1: Oh, listening. But great salespeople are great listeners. And they constantly get out of their head. And they get into the other person's head. They show empathy. The famed linguistic professor, Dr. Deborah Tannen, taught me once in an interview a great tip. If you want to reduce your interrupting, when the other person is talking, gently place your lips together so they touch each other. Not, not so it's obvious. Just gently place your lips together and count to 10. And the odds are that your client will keep on talking are guaranteed. And it's in that 10 seconds when you don't interrupt, they will disclose something to you that might be supremely valuable that you never would have learned had you kept being on your agenda and on your timeline. So as salespeople, be super cognizant of how well or how poorly you're listening to your client. Shut up, take notes, and just let them talk.
0: It's fantastic. Thank you again, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and, you know, giving us some of your insights.
1: It's my pleasure. I hope that was helpful.
0: Hey, listeners. Negotiation is a bit of a tricky dance. At any part of the process, a deal can fall apart. And sometimes the reason for it has nothing to do with cost. Do you have questions about how to pick up on what really matters at the negotiation table? We want to hear from you. Our email address is century21pod at slate.com or tweet your question with the hashtag century21pod and we may feature your question in our upcoming episode. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. Thanks so much for listening and please join us next time. Century 21 Real Estate LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured and not necessarily of Century 21 Real Estate.